On this episode of EHS on Tap, Navigating the Proposed Pharmaceutical Rule, we plunge into EPA's proposed pharmaceutical rule and what this rule will mean for the overall health of our freshwater resources, as well as the consequences to healthcare facilities. Today, we are speaking with attorney and environmental law expert Summer Nastich with Nastich Law in Berkeley, California, about the soon-to-be finalized pharmaceutical rule. Ms. Nastich has a broad expertise in CERCLA, RICRA, and the Clean Water Act, as well as state and federal environmental statutes. Welcome to the program, Summer. Thanks. Good to be here. So scientists over the years have sounded the alarm that there is a new type of water pollution happening in freshwater resources. The type of pollution is not visible to human eyes. It's not a harmful algal bloom that closes beaches or results in fish gills. It's not an oil spill that causes a sheen on the surface. This type of pollution is different. The pollution I'm speaking about is from pharmaceuticals. Summer, can you offer some insight as to why pharmaceuticals entering water is a problem that we should care about? I should also mention before Summer responds that Summer, before practicing law, has a bachelor's degree in biology, oceanography, and zoology, as well as a master's degree in environmental engineering. So she's well balanced to answer these questions. Huh. <laughs> okay. So. First, I wanted to say that it's important to understand that different organisms show different sensitivities to different types of compounds and drugs. So the effects of these compounds likely vary from species to species, and they may even vary from population to population. And the effects that we see are also dependent upon the compound that they're exposed to or the combination of compounds, as well as the concentration or concentrations of the different compounds to which an organism is exposed and the duration of exposure and the concentration of the duration equals the dose. So for all of these reasons, it's, it's really hard to find an answer to the question of what are these things going to do to the environment? That's just a really tough question to answer. But there have been some studies that have documented observable effects in certain organisms, and in particular fish, which are some of the most studied organisms for these types of chemicals in the exposures. So a number of studies have documented feminization in fish in response to synthetic estrogen in the environment, and this included um, feminization like the formation of a female reproductive tract in the testes of male fish. And I know it's in fish, but you can imagine the, the outcry if we actually started to see this in the human population. And the idea is that if you see it in these other organisms, then perhaps we might see some sort of, of similar or extrapolated effect in the human population. So there are observable effects, and these effects are pretty dramatic. Uh, in another study, an entire population of wild fish that was downstream from a wastewater treatment plant outfall pipe in the UK, the entire population was feminized. So again, there haven't been many studies on a variety of organisms, but in some categories of organisms, like in fish, um, the, the response to the dosing that they're getting is actually not only observable, but fairly dramatic. So, Summer, you mentioned the outcry of what would happen if some of these effects that we're seeing in scientific studies and through research in fish would actually be, you know, uh, reproduced in a human population. So maybe we can take this question a little bit further and and answer what are the possible long-term effects of pharmaceuticals if um, – pharmaceuticals in, end up in our drinking water supplies. What are, they, what are the effects to humans? 
right. Well, you know, at this point, we really don't know. Um, there have been there haven't been sufficient studies that allow us to draw conclusions specifically as to the health effects of these materials in the environment on humans. There are research who are, are doing that work, uh, researchers that are doing that work, but it's unlikely that they're going to have any real answers for us in years, and I think it's probably most likely decades. Now, to me, the interesting thing is that if you think about that in terms of a human lifespan, that means that if you have a baby born today, they're potentially going to be exposed for 10, 20 years before we even have any idea of what that exposure is likely to do that to that child. And at that point, it may really be too late. Um, but then again, we could learn that there's really little risk and that the, the dosing that people are getting or likely to get in the future are, are not going to have any appreciable effect on people at all. At this point, we, we just simply do not have the data to draw any solid conclusions one way or another. That's interesting. So now that we kind of know the big picture scientific, you know, outlook on pharmaceuticals and the impact to water, um, let's get into what the EPA is is doing. Um, so in an effort to rein in sort of the pharmaceuticals that are entering water resources, the EPA put out a proposed rule last year regarding how to dispose of pharmaceuticals. So what is the purpose of this new rulemaking that the EPA is doing? So as the law is now, any facility that generates hazardous pharmaceutical waste is subject to all of the, all of the requirements and uh, regulation requirements under the Resource Conservation Act, which is commonly called RECRA. <clears throat> and they, RECRA sets rules for hazardous waste generators, and then EPA promulgates regulations, and those also become part of the rules. And those rules include how you have to manage that kind of waste, which includes labeling, storing, transporting, disposing of, reporting, tracking, everything. Um, so right now everybody has to do that pursuant to RECRA and the associated regulations. What's required under RECRA varies depending on how much of various kinds of hazardous waste, whether they're acute or non-acute, any given facility generates in any given calendar month. And currently many healthcare facilities, they fall into the large quantity generator LQG class based on the amount of acute hazardous pharmaceutical waste that they generate in a calendar month. And what that means is that they have to comply with all of the large quantity generator requirements, and these are more onerous, burdensome, and, and really expensive to satisfy than the requirements for the other classes of generators, like small quantity generators or conditionally exempt small quantity generators. What the proposed rule would do is remove the management of hazardous pharmaceutical wastes from the standard record generator regulations and create new requirements for the, the facilities that are covered by the new rule with respect specifically to hazardous pharmaceutical waste. The, the other hazardous waste that these facilities would generate would still be managed as usual under RECRA. And what EPA says, and you may disagree with this or, or not, is that this is going to benefit the facilities applicable that this rule applies to because one, healthcare facilities will no longer be large quantity generators simply by virtue of generating more than one kilogram of acute hazardous waste pharmaceuticals in a month, which is what usually pushes these facilities into the large quantity generator category. So it may simplify their life in that way and, and cost them less money. The healthcare facilities will also not have to comply with the satellite accumulation area regulations, which EPA says is a poor fit for healthcare facilities. Honestly, that doesn't make much sense to me. It's really a, a kind of a locked cold storage closet, satellite accumulation area. I don't know why you can't have that in a hospital, but th 
that's what EPA says. Um, they say that healthcare facilities will no longer have to specify hazardous waste codes on manifest, and that's going to help them out. Uh, hazardous waste, healthcare facilities will also be permitted to accumulate hazardous waste pharmaceuticals on site without a RICRA permit for 365 days. Now, this is interesting. This is an increase of 275 days over the current law. So that means that these healthcare facilities are going to be able to have a hazardous waste transporter come by and pick the stuff up and, and take it away for disposal much less frequently than they do now. And this I actually really do see as a potential significant reduction in cost. And then finally, EPA says that healthcare facilities are going to get a benefit of being subject to just basic training requirements. Note also that the proposed rules would supplant the current generator regulations for the accumulation and management of hazardous pharmaceutical waste at pharmaceutical reverse distributors, which are entities that help healthcare facilities. Um, they calculate and receive credit from pharmaceutical manufacturers when the healthcare facilities have unused pharmaceuticals they no longer need. And they, the reverse distributors generally have contracts with the health care facilities to help them manage their unused and sometimes expired waste pharmaceuticals. And these regulations would apply to those, those folks, those reverse distributors as well. So it's a, it's a very uh, great summary of the proposed rule that EPA has put forth. I just want to clarify here for some of our listeners is that the regulation the EPA has put forth is only impacting healthcare facilities such as hospitals, clinics, as well as retail stores that have pharmacies within them, um, right? It, it doesn't really impact me or you or anyone with prescription medicines in their homes. Well, th that part is right. It would not impact me or you or just people with prescription medicines in their home. The proposed rule, it, it applies to healthcare facilities, pharmaceutical reverse distributors that generate and manage hazardous waste pharmaceuticals. So it doesn't apply to pharmaceutical manufacturing, production facilities, or other generators of hazardous waste pharmaceuticals. But the definition of healthcare facility is actually really broad. So what is included in that is any person that provides preventative, diagnostic, therapeutic, rehabilitative, maintenance or palliative care and counseling service assessment or procedure with respect to the physical or mental condition or functional status of a human or animal or that affects the structure or function of the human or animal body or sells or dispenses over-the-counter or prescription pharmaceuticals. This definition includes, but is not limited to, hospitals, psychiatric hospitals, ambulatory surgical centers, health clinics, physicians, physicians' offices, optical and dental providers, chiropractors, long-term care facilities, ambulance services, coroners and medical examiners, pharmacies, long-term care pharmacies, mail-order pharmacies, retailers of over-the-counter meds, and veterinary clinics and hospitals. So it applies to vets and human doctors, and it does apply to pharmacies, but it does not apply to people like you and me that are just using our medication in our house. That's good to know. That's a, I didn't want the EPA to come into my house and take all my, take all my pharmaceutical drugs away from me. So uh, unless, they're, <laughs> unless they're a different kind of drug that we're not talking about, that's really unlikely, and then it's probably not going to be EPA. So, um, Another question here, because as the proposed rule covers quite a variety of healthcare facilities that you had just mentioned, um, before this rule, I'd be interested to know how these healthcare facilities, since there are so many different types of healthcare facilities that you just mentioned, how would they go about discarding these pharmaceuticals? Um, you know, the most uh, frequent or common thing that comes to my mind would be to just 
you know, unused medicines they would just dump down the drain. Is, is that accurate? Well, according to EPA, what you're describing is called sewering, and EPA calls that um, a common, in air quotes, common method of disposal. That accounts for approximately 20% of the disposal of non-creditable pharmaceuticals. And those are pharmaceuticals that cannot be returned for a manufacturer's credit. And EPA believes that um, non-creditable pharmaceuticals are about 80% of the hazardous waste pharmaceuticals disposed of by health care facilities. So you've got 20% of 80% getting sewered, basically. This new rule would include an outright ban on sewering, which honestly, I mean, sewering has never been good practice, and it's always likely been at least questionable legality at best in most cases. But EPA seems to think that the incidence of sewering should be reduced by the rule. I also want to mention, too, that by purportedly addressing some of the more tricky requirements of RECRA, the rule is intended to curb overall improper disposal of these materials by other means, um, which is like throwing them in the trash, which EPA estimates is how healthcare facilities dispose of 40 to 50 percent of their non-credible hazardous pharmaceutical waste. If you, if you think about what happens to the trash, though, the trash just goes usually to a landfill, a municipal solid waste landfill. So now you've got these pharmaceutical products in a municipal landfill, and that's really not where they should end up. And half of the non-creditable, but up to half by EPA's estimation, that's, that's where they're going. So that's a significant amount. So hopefully this will help reduce the amount of pharmaceuticals that are just getting tossed in the trash. But interestingly, the rule um, doesn't, doesn't accomplish this by making it easier to properly dispose of these problematic materials, like um, the containers with drug residues in them, which currently, <clears throat> excuse me, under RECRA, the entire container is a hazardous waste unless certain requirements are met. So if you've got like a chemotherapy agent in a little bottle and you dispense that drug and you have residue in that bottle, the entire bottle is a hazardous waste under RECRA. So the new rule doesn't change that. Rather, what it does is just accept containers with residue from the definition of hazardous waste. So what it does is allow these things to be disposed of as waste other than hazardous waste, so they're going to be going in the trash anyway. Um, so I, don't, I, I see how this would reduce the number of RECRA violations and things that are not being disposed consistently with RECRA. I really don't see how allowing a potentially problematic disposal method is going to reduce the amount of pharmaceuticals that enter the environment. Does that make does that make sense? Yeah, that that definitely you know it, it makes sense and like you know a lot of EPA regulations you know something it's it's like they can uh, uh, solve some problems but leave some problems um, you know still still out there. So um, I kind of want to circle back here um, and ask you a, a, an opinionated question, um, and, and maybe this kind of goes with the, how you just summarized your last response is. Um, I guess, in your opinion, do you think that the the proposed EPA regulation will actually reduce or cut down on the amount of pharmaceuticals entering the waterways, um, even, given that it's only healthcare facilities and not the general population, whereas maybe even some people will continue to, you know, flush or sewer, sewering the pharmaceuticals down the drain. Do you, do you think that this will take a step forward, or does it uh, keep kind of the status quo? Well, so EPA has said that it anticipates that, that just a ban on sewering, that just that is going to prevent 6,400 um, tons of hazardous waste pharmaceuticals from contaminating the water per year. That, I mean, 
that's a lot. My feeling is that this is overly optimistic. I agree that the rule is intended to curb improper disposals, such as um, by putting those things in the trash or sewering, which is currently improper. But since these have always been improper disposal methods in nearly every case, I'm, I'm really skeptical that this rule is going to result in a significant change in behavior in the majority of violators. So that said, um, the rule is intended to make it easier and cheaper to follow the law. So I suppose it's possible that someone that had been saying, ah, these rules are too complicated, I'm just going to dump this down the drain, right. they'll now go, oh, I got all the, raw, <laughs> the law because it's just so much easier. Um, but I kind of doubt it. Uh, you know, the laws have been burdensome, but for a large healthcare facility, this is not their biggest expense at all. It's not their mm -hmm. biggest time consumer. They have so many rules that they have to follow. I don't understand why this just isn't one of them. Um, also, the, the proper disposal of hazardous pharmaceuticals from healthcare facilities is really only a small part of the overall picture, right? So there are many sources of pharmaceuticals into the environment. Come, the, the stuff coming from healthcare facilities is just part of it. So you've got animal feedlots where there's often heavy use of antibiotics. You have active ingredients in personal care products like sunscreens or other lotions, topical creams and ointments. And then you have drugs that actually make it through the metabolic cycle and they're excreted in human waste unaltered or as a degradation product. Um, and some of these can act, some of the degradation products can actually revert to the original chemical compound in the environment. So if you assume that just half, say half of the six billion people on the planet are ingesting pharmaceuticals, say daily, weekly, even monthly, there's a significant input to the environment, even at low concentrations, that, that are being excreted from people when they're ingesting these things. And the proposed rule doesn't address any of those sources. So you're really tackling a very small sliver of the mm -hmm. contributions um, by this rule. So it, I think that the rule is likely to have little overall actual effect on the input of hazardous pharmaceutical waste into the environment. But honestly, Emily, I'd be happy to be wrong. <laughs> and I think every little bit helps. Um, plus, the issue really has not been addressed by regulators, even though we've known about this issue. And by the issue, I mean pharmaceutical waste in the environment. We've known about it for a while, and it hasn't really been addressed, so I'm glad to see that there's some movement on it, even if that movement isn't a massive, massive improvement overall. Right, um, right. And I guess, you know, just to you – you mentioned personal care products and, and sunscreens and lotions and ointments, and the list goes on and on when you go down the grocery store and you find all the aisles and aisles and aisles of over-the-counter um, personal care products as well as prescription drugs that uh, are – uh, authorized by doctors um, for home consumption. So there, the list of potential pharmaceuticals out there, are it's huge. So I definitely agree with you that this is only taking a small bite out of the, you know, uh, the pie. And uh, But you're right, it is, a, it is a small step in the right direction if you're um, concerned about this and the environmental um, impacts that pharmaceuticals do cause. So I guess just to kind of wrap it up and ask a, a final question here is, you know, what do you think uh, people can do um, to minimize pharmaceuticals entering the water supplies? So I think there are really three primary ways that people can address this on a personal level, and, and those are by avoiding unnecessary use, um, unnecessary drug use and personal care product use and by properly disposing of unused pharmaceuticals. So first of all, avoiding things like 
antimicrobial soaps unless they're really necessary is a, is a great example. So if you think about when you're using an antimicrobial hand soap or a dish sub or soap or a bathtub cleaner, all the unused antimicrobial agent, it goes right down the drain and it goes through the sewer lines on its way to the wastewater treatment plant. And so if there are any leaks in that sewer system, which I can pretty much guarantee you that there are, this material is leaking out of that sewer line. It's leaking into the ground, and it then can leak down and find its way into the aquifer and, the, and, the, and enters the waterways. So if you can dial back or even eliminate completely your in-home use of these kinds of products, antimicrobial products, which in most cases are really unnecessary because mechanical scrubbing with regular soap, then it's all emulsify the bacteria and just take them away the wastewater treatment plant that way. That's going to remove most of the microbes, and it's just really unnecessary, and you don't actually have to use those chemicals. Um, second, avoiding unnecessary drug use. This has actually gotten quite a bit of traction and attention over the past few decades, and I think this is likely to continue because we've seen really an, an uptick in um, uh, multiple resistance microbes. And one of the things that healthcare people will say, and it's really true, is just don't insist that your doctor give you antibiotics if she thinks you have a virus. If you have a virus and not a bacteria, the antibody is not going to help, and you will be dosing yourself unnecessarily and putting that antibiotic compound into the environment for really for no reason whatsoever. Um, so that's an example. And also finish the course to avoid creating multiple resistant drugs. That's a whole other thing. That's an aside, but just do that too. And then the last thing that we can do as individuals is to make sure that we're properly disposing of our unused medications. And this is something I think most people don't know. They think I'll just flush them down the toilet or throw, them, throw them in the trash. And that's not the proper way to get rid of them. What you should do is um, take them to an authorized collector site, which are provided by the Drug Enforcement Agency's Office of Diversion Control. And you can go to their website. If you Google Drug Enforcement Agency Office of Diversion Control, click through for the four consumer links, and you'll find a form that allows you to actually enter your zip or your city and state. And it will kick out a list of where these authorized disposal sites are. And the, the one thing I will say is that the sites are not always convenient. So, for example, I live I live in Berkeley, which is an urban area. I've got at least 10 pharmacies at least in a two-mile radius, and I did this just the other day, and the closest authorized collection site is seven miles from my house. Wow. I, I have a pharmacy half a block away, but I have to go seven miles to drop off my unused medicine. So the, the frequency and the location of the disposal sites could certainly be improved, but you know, throw them in your car, and when you happen to go buy one, just drop them off there instead of dumping them in your trash. Uh, also note that there are occasionally drug roundups uh, in neighborhoods where you can take your meds and drop them off, and those might be closer and more convenient. And DEA's website has all the information on that, that stuff as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely helpful. I do know I, uh, you know, growing up and even here in Connecticut, we uh, two things just to comment is CVS I think has uh, is increasing the number of places where you can drop off medicines that you're not going to use, um, regardless if they're expired or not, um, as well as your local police station is usually um, has a receptacle for uh, pharmaceuticals. So those oh, are interesting. I did not know that about the police station. That would be, yeah. I mean, that would be great if if that were if that were the case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, when I was growing up in Oklahoma, that that was the case where you could always take it to you know the the local police station, um, and they they would oh. always accept them. So, um, definitely great tips, um, great advice. Um, everything that you presented here today, Summer, has been super helpful. Um, just a, a a last note is 
the, the proposed rule will most likely be made final um, and published in the Federal Register sometime this fall, um, trying to get all these um, regulations passed while the Obama administration remains um, intact. So um, I'd like to thank Summer for being here today. That's all we have on e this episode of EHS on Tap. Um, if listeners would like to follow up with Summer, she can be reached at summer at nastichlaw.com. That's S-U-M-M-E-R at N-A-S-T-I-C-H-L-A-W.com. So this podcast was brought to you by BLR. Thanks, everyone, for listening in today.